Metal Dave here along with my co-host Jason McMaster. As always, welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today we're going to revisit the magic and memories of discovering record stores. Some of our favorites as kids, some of our favorites as teenagers, uh, some of our favorites to this present day. And uh, all the discovery and magic and social interaction that went hand in hand with spending hours and hours and dollars upon dollars at record stores during our lifetimes. We'll get to all that in a little bit. Uh, but first, Jason, what's going on with you? I love your shirt. He's Jason. Thank you. Midnight shirt for those of you who are listening and not watching. Yeah, this uh, this was uh, for a Texas tour, twenty nineteen. Um, Igniter did a show with them down in San Antonio and they were doing a Texas run and this was, they did a, uh, it's a really great idea, but they did a run of shirts. Um, they did the old, uh, Dick's t-shirt. Oh yeah. The, the like, sort of like, uh, turquoise color shirt the dicks look they did a midnight shirt like that oh, this I, is a takeoff on the san antonio slayer prepare to die album cover sure is instead of the ram skull they they have their their midnight bell with this with the sickles yeah and uh on the back it has a big state of texas and and it has all the dates they did in texas and uh you know those guys are fucking awesome that's right i said fucking awesome uh, for those of you who don't know Midnight, who've been asleep, they've been around for 20 years or more, or something like that. And um, you know, a couple of the guys, a uh, couple of the, you know, they've had lineup changes. Yeah. Uh, but they are like, for just a, for just throwing a description out there, imagine Venom and Motorhead in a blender. Um. But probably, you know, as good as Mickey D is on drums, because Venom, you know, that back in, you know, the good Venom, they were terrible musicians. And that's part of the charm. I've said on Talk Louder before, they were, they were pretty terrible, but they wrote all these kick-ass fun songs. So the theme of Venom is what I really fell in love with. And I feel like Venom, when they, when they learned how to play their instruments better, I didn't like them as much. So... <laughs> So imagine Midnight, great music, great players on the Motorhead side, like in the Mickey D caliber, right? Phil Campbell, Mickey D days. Uh, yeah, they wear hoods, bullet belts, leather jackets um, all the time. You know, you can't see their faces. Even yeah. the drummer wearing a hood for, you know, 90 minutes. And they're a pure energy, completely raw. And yes, you got to check it out. Whenever nice. you can. The records are fun. They're even more fun live. So nice. uh yeah, yeah, that's my that can be that can be my intro. I'm also listening to Fog Hat. A lot of Fog Hat. Wow. I love Fog Hat. And we've talked about Fog Hat live uh on our episode about live albums. Yes, we did. How underrated that is. Yeah. What yeah. about you, Dave? What's going on with you? Um I had uh i was uh made available to me was the upcoming brand new street walking cheetahs record 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw, I got that. Yeah, Frank sent that to me too. I haven't pressed play on it yet. Yeah, so it's their, it comes out March 19th. Um, it's their first album, I think, in about 15 years. And uh, I gave it a listen, a couple listens actually, and it's, it's great, man. I mean, they're all over the place musically. There's some stuff on there that is like the best cheap trick power pop type stuff. And then they've got, you know, what they're known for, I guess, is sort of that pummeling, almost ferocious, borderline motorhead kind of style. Um, and then there's just a lot of in between just straight up rock and roll. There's some songs with like some synthesizers that kind of has like a bit of a new wavy sort of feel. So it's kind of all over the place, but it's all really well done. And it's, uh, you know, I've only listened to it twice. It's called One More Drink. And it comes out March 19th on Deadbeat Records. And uh, it's it's great to see them back and, uh, and putting out a, a great record. So It's cool that they're sticking it out there as, as in uh, song uh, style, you know, and what they love and they, what they like and their influences. I just, it's, they're wearing it on their sleeve, right? Uh, they're kind of just said, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to be what people have labeled us to be. We're going to be whatever we want to be. And to, if it, if uh, today it's power pop and tomorrow it's new wave and, you know, next week it's motorhead. So be it. We're going to cram them all together and make this record. And it still makes a pretty uh, cohesive listen. So again, I've only heard it two times, but uh, I look forward to listening to it again. And uh, awesome. Glad to see him back. Little side note for our listeners: the front man of that band is uh, Frank Meyer, and his brother uh, Brecken Meyer is a Hollywood actor that you may have seen in. Uh, he was in Clueless, and he was in uh, Garfield the movie, and I think he's a voice on uh, King of the Hill or something like that. So, Frank's brother is a bit of a Hollywood actor who's got some some credits. Uh, on his resume that you guys may have heard of. So anyway, Streetwalk and Cheetah's first album in 15 years. Glad to see him back. I should start by saying today's topic was brought to us by uh, Al Kelly out of San Antonio. Al is a lifelong dear friend of mine. We've been buddies for 30, 35 years. Um, Al uh, has played in a number of uh, fairly well-known San Antonio thrash bands over the years. And he texted me and said he loves the podcast. He watches every episode. We thank him for that. And he said, you should probably maybe think about doing a show about record stores and all the time that we've all spent there, uh, because it is a common experience. Uh, Anybody listening to this podcast can appreciate uh, the, uh, the adventure and the discovery of going into record stores and, uh, and actually, back in the day, they were sort of uh, they were sort of our social hub before we had the internet. It's where you went to meet your your buddies who were in bands. It's where you went to flyer your, your gigs. It's where you went to pick up your zines. Um, it's where buy, you buy bump, your concert tickets. Buy concert tickets. Bump into your friends. It was uh, more than just buying albums. So. That's kind of the topic today, and I uh, wanted to give a shout to Al, because uh, he was standing right next to me numerous times when we were uh, checking out record stores in San Antonio, and I'll touch on some of those in a bit. But Jason, let's start with you. What's the first record store you remember as a as a teenager or a youngster where you were like, ah, this is my place, I found it? 
Well, there were a couple of places uh, in the 70s down in Corpus Christi that I used to frequent. Um, honestly, there were department stores would carry records sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, back then in the mid seventies, you know, I was, I was 10 years old in 75 and I was definitely starting to buy records and I had the fever. Um, I was getting them for birthday presents and Christmas presents by then. Right. So anytime I'd be out, you know, tagging along with the parents, uh, pissing them off, uh, while shopping, because I'm tugging on their, you know, leg going, hey, there's a new, you know, there's a Kiss album I want. Can we get it? Can we get it? I'm sure I was annoying as hell because I was completely obsessed. Yeah. So this would have been in like Sears yep. or Woolworths or this place called Gibson's or, you know, stuff like that. Uh, there were, so this would be before like, the mall before there was such a thing called the mall, right? <laughs> yeah. We'd go to a mall and there'd be a chain store in there. This was more, um, in a time where it was a mom and pop shop. Like it was some, a hippie couple, you know, that was obsessed with rock and roll and Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. And they, they wanted to start a record store because they loved art and music and da 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 da. And so that's usually, just in the back of my brain, that's the first thing that comes to mind as to someone or some rock and roll nerd, you know, who wants to start a record store. That's, you know, it's a sole entity. It's not a chain store that someone's, you know, like, like Hastings yeah, or Sound Warehouse or, you know, strawberries or licorice pizza or peaches or whatever. You know, th there's a lot, there's too many that are now defunct, of course. So yeah. Uh, Tower Records, of course. We're, we're going to get into all this stuff. Um, Dirty Dave's was a head shop that I would go to. Now, in my in my old man memory, I'm trying to remember if they sold records, and I want to say they did. And I want to say I did buy a couple of records from Dirty Dave's. Now, I've mentioned this before, the old head shops in the 70s, you know, they had like another door in the back with the beads hanging down that said, you know, you have to be this tall to get on this ride, yeah. you know, kind of thing. The forbidden. Uh, I don't know if the age was 16 or 18 or whatever it was, um, but it smelled funny back there. And, you know, I'd always try to peek in, you know. But anyway, the records and the posters is, you know, I had to get past those to even want to enter the uh, forbidden zone, so to speak. And you couldn't, I mean, I would just stare at the posters, you know, the, the spindle of posters that yep. were in, on the, like, it's like a rack and they're on like a, a Rolodex kind of thing. Yep. You know that young people don't know the word Rolodex. Did you know that? <laughs> I know that. Yes. It's I have a, have a 13 year old son. Yeah, you do. And you say Rolodex and I'm like, what the hell's a Rolodex? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are going to be of age. They're going to know what I'm talking about. So you're thumbing through posters, like you're thumbing through records in a, in a record bin at a record store. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, in, in the oohs and ahs, whenever you find some, Oh my God, you know, that kind of, <laughs> yeah, 
that kind of an overwhelming sensation is like a natural high. Yeah. It starts with your eyes, but see, you're touching it with your hand. We're going to probably get into this all throughout this episode about downloading doesn't have that. Right. right. There's no ooh and ah when you're downloading something. That's Yes, that means there's no physical. You're touching your phone like you touch your phone all the time. Right. So there's no no magic. Yeah, there's no yeah, nothing is happening to your brain or anything. Yeah. Anyway, so Dirty Dave's I give credit. There was another place called Craig's Record Factory that that I feel like was there the whole time it might still be there i don't know it's hard for me to i, I should research that and see if craig's record fact i doubt it's there i know there's some record stores still down in corpus christi uh but they're they're newer and i think they're mom and pop which is a good thing um craig's record factory i think they did a bunch of in stores i remember when the watchtower record came out we had a distribution deal, but it was a thing where we had to ship a pallet of them to the distributor so they could distribute them. They It wasn't like, you know, we had to pay for the, the pressing of them, and then the pressing plant sent them to us, and then we had to secure a distribution deal and then send, you know, it sucked. <laughs> it's a different, it's a DIY. It's, it's a way the punk rockers did it too, you know. Shit, yeah. they were printing their own covers and everything yeah. yeah yeah uh so anyway uh i went down to corpus to to leave a box of them basically with craig's record factory this would have been in 19 late 85 or early 86 and then i remember being super young they were giving away concert tickets it was probably 78 or 79 and i tried to go see kiss and i know we you know, our one of our episodes was uh, shows we missed, touring band tour. You know, wow. re regrets. You know, a depression show. Of shows <laughs> that we, we fucked. We, we, we therapy we, after that show. Totally blew it. You know, <laughs> shows we totally blew it. We could have gone to, but we were sleeping or something. Yeah. So I went to Craig's Record Factory. I was probably fifteen or something, and the contest was for free tickets to Kiss was. What would your character be if you were the fifth member of KISS? So I painted my face all up crazy. I had, instead of, you know, the black and white, I had red and black. I was, I could have been Darth Maul if I remember the design. I was, I, was, I could have been a character from Star Wars, you know. Yeah. And uh, I went and I did my thing and there was only a few other contestants. And I lost big time. I didn't, I didn't get anything. It was rigged. It was, it was rigged. <laughs> and uh, I think I cried all the way home. And my mom, you know, the greatest thing, my mom was with me, full support. She uh, was the one letting me go to the record stores. She was giving me money to buy records. That's Love awesome. you, mom. Yeah. Having, having, helping my addiction to rock and roll records. Yeah. Um, what about you? Well, in San Antonio uh, or even in London? Were you old enough buying records in London? In England, I'm sorry. Oh, not quite. So my my story sort of parallels yours. I'm glad you brought up department stores because that's where my initial music purchases happened. Um, I moved back from England in 78, 79. And uh, at that those were, those were good years. Yeah. But I'm only like 12 years old at the time. So I'm perfect. You know, 
I started going to, I was into rock and roll by then, but I wasn't really buying anything on my own yet until we came back to the States. And uh, once we got back to the States, just like you, I, my, some of my initial purchases were in the music department at Sears. So I remember buying uh, Kiss Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over on cassette at Sears. And uh, then we moved back to San Antonio. And um, I, you know, this is a few years later. I'm now a teenager. I've got a driver's license. I can take dad's car and go to the mall and hang out like you did when you were a teenager, right? And my my routine used to be go to Windsor Park Mall in San Antonio, um, park the car, walk in the door, and immediately to your right was Luca's Pizza, and they had the best pizza, and I would buy a slice, and then you kind of started looking for your buddies, and, you know, and then I'd make a pass through the arcade that was across the hall, but my ultimate destination was Hastings Records in Windsor Park Mall, and that's kind of where I remember feeling like, oh, this this is my destination. I need this is where I'm going to spend my time. This is everything I want, you know. Um, and I want to say Harlan Glenn worked there because I remember seeing him. And I think he I think he was manager and Harlan Glenn elaborate on who Harlan is. Yeah, Harlan for those who don't know was the singer in a San Antonio metal band called Juggernaut and uh, they were a big deal in San Antonio and they were signed and to me he was a rock star, you know, I'm 16 years old and I have the record at home and there's this guy in the store and he's got the big hair and the venom shirt and I'm like, wow. You know. Let the let the legend let the legend be known right now that they were on Metal Blade. Yeah, they they which were is, they were on the label that you know when you're in a record store you're just looking for stuff on Metal Blade and you'll buy anything on Metal Blade. Right. Which at a certain why, point. Right. Which is why I thought you know he was like he was godlike to me. I I just remember seeing okay Harlan Glenn is here. All the all the records I want are here. Uh, there's t-shirts for sale. It's at the mall. So I'm cruising with my buddies and, you know, doing what you do when you hang out at the mall as a kid. And there was a record store immediately directly above Hast Hastings was on the lower level. And on the second level, there was another record store. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of it, but it was another chain. And I keep wanting to say Sam Goody, but I know it wasn't Sam Goody. Um, but it, it didn't have the vibe. You know how that's part of what we're talking about today with today's episode is those record stores that aren't generic and sterile. They have a vibe and a personality. And Hastings had more of a vibe and a personality and better selection. So that was the first one I remember going to and just kind of being in awe of the place because it had it had all the great uh, metal imports and vinyl and t-shirts and Harlan Glenn was there. <laughs> I'm like, Speak, I, speaking of Harlan, I'm glad you brought him up one more time. Those of you who are watching can see I'm holding up these reissues, uh, metal blade reissues of Juggernaut, Baptism Under Fire. Uh, they reissued these just a couple of years ago. And here's another one, Trouble Within. And I think the bass player, Scott Womack, who now plays with Militia, uh, Art Villarreal from San Antonio Slayer and Carrion fame, 
is also in Militia now. Uh, but this has both of these have Bobby Jarzombek, uh, Scott Womack, and Harlan Glenn lead vocals. Both of these reissued on Metal Blade Records, which is which is crazy because we're sitting here talking about. I think they both worked at that Hastings. I think you're right. I was going to say, I think Scott Womack worked there as well. And I have the original release of that Baptism Under Fire on vinyl, and I've had it since it came out. And nice. years, years, many years later, I became friends with Scott, and uh, he was playing with Chris Gates for a while in Gatesville, and I took that vinyl to one of their gigs, and he was nice enough to sign it for me. So, um Anyway, yeah, so Hastings Records, Windsor Park Mall, borrowing dad's car. I'm 16, 17 years old, and I found my, my nirvana, my mecca, my place. That was, that was it, and uh, that's the first time. And there was many more that came after, and we'll get into those, but I, I wanted to share. That, that, that Hastings and Windsor Park Mall, I believe, could have also employed Tommy Pons mm. and Bob Dog Catlin. You may be right on Antonio Slayer and then Tommy Ponzu drew flyers for all those old uh, Via Fontana shows and stuff like that and ended up doing the toys art as well. Dangerous toys, clown art. So, yeah, yeah legendary stuff happening in that you're on, you're on holy ground. You're talking about holy ground. Yeah. And I want to say and someone correct me if I'm wrong, leave a comment or whatever. But I want to say that that Hastings Records was the same location where. Metallica did an in-store and it almost turned into a riot. They had to call in the police and shut the thing down and, and cut it off. And uh, for some reason, I wasn't there. I can't imagine why. This goes back to our moments of regret that we covered in the last episode. I don't know why the heck I wasn't at a Metallica in-store uh, in the, you know, the late 80s or whatever. whatever. Actually, it was earlier than that. But... Um, uh, well, it was probably those uh, Armored Saint Metallica shows at the Cameo. They were they probably did a an in store or maybe two of them during the. I mean, they must have been in San Antonio for five days. Yeah, yeah, three nights in a row. I want to say that that Metallica in store that got a little out of hand was at this Hastings Records in Windsor Park Mall that I'm talking about. And if if I'm wrong, somebody correct me. But anyway. Uh, yeah, that location, Hastings Records, was my the first time where I felt like uh, I, I found the place where I'm going to spend my money. <laughs> well, uh, L.A. Slayer, I have to say L.A. because we're talking about San Antonio, and I've already mentioned S.A. Slayer. So Slayer uh, did an in-store there when they did their Via Fontana show with Slayer versus Slayer and yeah. that would have been probably Friday November 30th 1984 <laughs> uh and Bob Catlin guitar player from San Antonio Slayer Bob Catlin guitar player for San Antonio Slayer was working that at Hastings yeah. at that in store I've heard this story and, yeah. and and he's saying you know he's there hanging out with them and they they they're getting along great and um and one of the guys in Slayer, it might it might have been Jeff Hanneman, says something to Bob like, "Because uh, they're you know I think they're drinking beers and just hanging out, right?" Yeah. And he's and he's like, uh, he, Jeff Hanneman says something to Bob like, uh, "So there's another band called Slayer on the bill tonight. You know anything about him?" He goes, "Oh yeah, they kick ass." Yeah. <laughs> they kick ass, and he's and he's like, "Oh yeah," and he goes, 
He goes, well, are they, are they cool? He's like, hell yeah, we're cool. What do you mean we're cool? He goes, I'm in, sl I'm in the band. <laughs> he's yeah. like, well, and he's like, well, damn, you're cool. So yeah, y'all must be cool. So the Slayer versus Slayer was not like a battle of the Slayers at yeah. all. It was this like a uh, happy day. Yeah, they were. They ended up being friendly with each other purely by accident because they crossed paths in the middle of the day unknowingly, right? Such a legendary moment uh, yeah. happening in the stories. Uh, the stories would you would have to get them from the horse's mouth, which would probably a good story would be from Bob Catlin. Yeah, of that day. So, yeah. So. After Hastings Records, um, I graduated, I guess you could say, to Hogwild Records. Of course you did. All hail Hogwild. All hail Hogwild. Downtown. Records. In downtown San Antonio on North Main Street, across the street from San Antonio College. Let and us pray. That is where, um, that's where Al, my buddy Al, who suggested this topic, he and I would make a day of going to... Hogwild Records. So I'd go pick him up. We'd drive downtown, maybe grab a bite to eat, and of course spend two hours or so in the store. So the whole ordeal, and then we'd bring the records back to his place and listen to him. So this whole adventure could turn into a six, seven hour thing, you know? And um, I fell in love with Hogwild Records because Hastings, you know, while it had its vibe and because of the the people that worked there and sort of the, the scene around it and the times. Hogwild, though, was the first record store I walked into where it wasn't a chain. It was like, it was an independent record store and the imports and the metal section was just unbelievable. I mean, I remember seeing import Iron Maiden picture discs and stuff like that. And uh, it was also, again, it was sort of a hub for where you went to find out what bands are playing in town that week. Because there was a, a stack of flyers at the front door, a stack of zines at the front door, a stack of demo tapes that you could take if you wanted. Uh, it was just kind of where you went to hang out, buy records, and also find out what was going on with the rock and roll scene or the metal scene, especially in San Antonio during that time. And it was just like a great destination you know and al was the type of guy we would go there and al would buy so let's let's say al bought five albums two of them he was already aware of what they were but he was the guy that would buy three others just because the band name was cool or the artwork was cool he was the risk taker and that's I, what i meant by anything on metal blade yeah, yeah, yeah. You're for an album cover, you're looking for a title. You're looking for a certain song that might have been on a compilation that you heard that someone made on a cassette or something. You were at a party and heard this one song. What was that band called? And you go find their album. Oh, I've heard this song before. The rest of this better be good, you know. Yeah. He, risk taker. I like that. Yeah, he was always the risk taker. I was more you know, cautious with my money. I'd walk in and if I bought five things, four of them, I was pretty confident that I was getting something I wanted. And maybe I'd, maybe I'd roll the dice on one because it had a cool cover or the band name sounded cool or whatever. But, uh, because of those trips to Hogwild with Al, uh, he was the one we kind of, I mean, he was a full on metalhead. He was all about creator and Megadeth and Voivod and all this stuff. But because he was adventurous in his, you know, shopping, 
Uh, that's how we discovered. He was the first guy that bought a James Addiction record. He was the first guy that bought, and, and I'm talking about the uh, the live EP. It wasn't even the uh, uh, major label proper full length release at that time. Uh, same thing yeah, with that. Could, could have been the early independent uh, release before they had a big record deal or whatever. It was. It was. I can see the cover. Perry Farrell's on the cover. It almost looks like a painting of Perry, but. Uh, so because of Al, I discovered uh, through Hogwild Records, Jane's Addiction, the first Alice in Chains EP. Uh, we discovered Screeching Weasel. And uh, that was a funny story because Al's band was opening for Screeching Weasel at this, at this club called the DMZ in San Antonio. And it was a dump, man. It was on the scary part of town, and, and uh, it was real dicey. And they didn't sell beer. So... We, I was always their roadie, I guess. So uh, his band, we pull in, we load in, they play. We're like, who's after? Who's the headliner? Screeching Weasel. That sounds horrible. We're out of here. Plus, this place has no beer, so we split, right? So a couple weeks later, we're in Hogwild Records, and we find the first Screeching Weasel record. And, of course, Hogwild had the turntables where you could listen on headphones before you bought the record. So Al comes over to me and he goes, dude, I found that screeching weasel band that we were supposed to open for the other night. He's, he's like, dude, you're going to kick yourself that we left that gig. It's awesome. And I was like, really? And he's like, dude, go check it out. It's on the turntable. I go over there and put on the headphones. Al's standing right next to me and he's just watching me as I go, oh my God, dude. Because we were big Ramones fans and screeching weasel is basically a Ramones ripoff type band. And we were like, Oh my God, we have to buy this record, and I can't believe we missed our chance to see these guys. And uh, and then years later, I interviewed Ben Weasel, the front man for Screeching Weasel, and he said they never got to play that night anyway because half their gear uh, was stolen or didn't show up to the venue on time, and the metal bands wouldn't loan them any of theirs. So, oh my God. Anyway, it was uh, one of those, you know, again, a destination where me and Al would spend hours and many afternoons. And again, uh, part of the experience was flipping through the flyers at the front door and all the zines and, you know, checking out whoever else was shopping because whoever else is shopping is probably in a local band. So you you start, you know, talking and it was just social networking before you had the internet. And we had a lot of that at, at Hogwild Records in San Antonio. It's still there, North Main Street, downtown San Antonio. Yeah, it's a legendary place. I, I went to many in-stores there, but the I have to tell my first experience with Hogwild was 83, 1983. Uh, I believe in an, an episode that I... I I don't recall which episode it was. I've told the story about how I'm front row at Def Leppard and I meet a guy named Ricky Warheit who turns me on. He said, who says, uh, are you in a band? Yes. Watchtower. Or I said, are you in a band? No, but these guys in this band called Slayer live with me and you should come down and hang out with us. And we exchange numbers and I, I go down to San Antonio one day with Billy White, the guitar player in Watchtower at the time, and and we uh, we hook up with the San Antonio Slayer dudes, and it's like love at first sight. We're bros forever, like day one, and we're just Bob Catlin's old green van. We're driving all over San Antonio, and it's hot as shit. I mean, it's just no AC, and we're just burning, and, and we're 18 or 19, and we don't care. Right. We don't care. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> and uh, and um, it's crazy because it's Dave McLean and Ricky Warhite and Bob Catlin and Don Van Stavern, and we're in this van riding all over San Antonio, hell and back. Yeah. We go to Hogwild. We go to, you know, we hit record stores. We drive all over town. They take us to, I think we went to the very first Taco Cabana. It was okay. only one, like the mothership, right? Yeah. Ground zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Parent Vital, I think. Yeah, yeah. There was and one. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so we go to Hogwild, and me and Billy are just like, "Oh my God, we're we're gonna come back tomorrow on our own and just buy out the store, right?" <laughs> uh, and it was just like, I would only imagine it would be like some of those, uh, you know that headbangers would understand what I'm about to say. Some of the legendary record stores you read about in magazines and were considered yourself lucky if you were able to visit them while they were still open. Yeah. Rock and Roll Heaven, uh, the Record Vault, San Francisco, uh, stuff like that. Things you read about in fanzines. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I, our version of that would have been Hogwild in yeah. San Antonio. Absolutely. And it's still there. It's legendary. I call it holy ground. It's it's just a couple of blocks from the freaking Alamo. Yeah. And uh, when when I was visiting there frequently, when I lived in San Antonio, the 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 stories I was telling about going there with with my buddy Al, uh, that was the late '80s, and and it's still there. And it was probably there before we discovered it. So I don't know how long it's been there, but it's been there a long time. And well, it's. They, Dave Risher, Dave Risher is the guy, and he started that. I'm going to say in the late '70s, because if I'm there as early as '83, and they're just popping with anything, because I was a full-on metalhead, so they had, you know, this is when Merciful Fate and uh, Queensrÿche only had one EP out. Yeah, and you know things like that, and and. Uh, Slayer Prepare to Die was out and they, they carried all, you know, there was a whole local band section. Yes. You know, where there was all these metal bands, you know, or they were underground, you know, independent releases. Yeah. Where the band had probably called them and shipped them a few copies and consigned their records or just sold them for wholesale price to the store just because they knew the store was considered a heavy metal hotspot. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that imagine that in all these scenes all over the world. And that's kind of was like made a young metalhead's brain explode and think about, oh my God, that's that's just awesome that this is this is happening all over the world. And you know, it's a revolution kind of a thing. Well, Hogwild was one of those moments, one of those places, one of those things that turned into a ritual where you made a plan with your buddies to get in the car and all carpool down to Hogwild Records, get some tacos from Taco Cabana, and then head back to Austin. That yeah. was like a thing. Yeah. And it, it, it was it was in the same breath that, you know, Watchtower started playing shows with San Antonio Slayer down there at Via Fontana and a bunch of other things were happening too, but that's a different episode. So yeah. That was my first experience. So I, I, I went in there anytime I could. It was just like I would stop in there just to stop in there, whether I was going to buy anything or not. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but it was a pilgrimage. It yeah. was something. So so around that same time, uh, Waterloo Records in Austin, Texas, 
great. Was uh, the original opening, uh, the original store was on South Lamar, not there on 6th and North Lamar, where just on the north side of the, the river downtown. Where it currently is, yeah. Right. It was where the, I want to say it's some kind of little coffee tea shop, or they may have even shut that down now. But there was a Taco Bell there next door forever and ever. Um, and there was, a t ironically, a Taco Cabana just up, just north of there, like two businesses north of there, same side of the street. There was a Taco Cabana, a corner Riverside and Lamar. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's holy ground. I, I went to end stores there. Uh, they would fill a, uh, a baby pool full of ice and beer, canned yeah. beer. Yeah, that's just that's just rock and roll, man. That's just Sweet. like backyard party. They'd put that baby pool right there in the in the middle of the store, fill it with ice and throw beer in there. And it was it was an incredible moment. Now, just to give you a visual, the store, people go to Waterloo now and you walk in and this is like, oh, it's cathedral like now. Well, this place was a shoebox. Yeah. It was a long, skinny space, you know, retail space. And um, they had these little counters. They would put a table by the front door. They would put this tiny little checkout counter thing over in the corner, like a podium almost. And they would put, you know, one band over behind the table and one band behind the podium. Well, one comes to mind that I'll never, ever forget was Raven is over by the door and Metallica is over by behind the podium. Wow. And I have my uh, Metallica Kill 'em All on Megaforce Records that I bought at Waterloo Records just a month prior yeah. autographed from this moment in history that I speak of at, at this holy time. Boom. Okay, so... Uh, that's how cool Waterloo was to me, and that's why it holds up. That's why it's it's holy ground. Um, but I I saw I, I went to end stores there for Accept and Saxon. That was a Balls to the Wall uh, Crusader tour. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, I gave Udo Dirk Snyder a cassette of uh, Watchtower Meltdown from the Cottage, Cottage Cheese from the Lips of Death, which was on Plan 9 Records uh, that uh, the Butthole Servers put together. Gibby Haynes did the artwork. San Antonio mainly, but DRI is on there. The Buttholes are on there. A uh, bunch of San Antonio. And, and then just some crazy metal band called Watchtower. We got invited to be on there. And anyway, I recorded that version on a cassette and gave it to Udo Dirksnyder. Who knows? If you yeah. ever listen to it, but yeah, so there's all this. I want to backpedal just for a second. Yeah, I remember riding my bike down Lamar and seeing, you know, coming soon Waterloo Records, just a banner out front. The door was wide open, and there were these two hippies in there, a, a lady and a man. And I wish I could remember their names because they were so sweet. And I want to say one of them's name the the guy's name was was Lewis, and I don't I don't know I, I I don't know if there's any way to fact check that or not. It was him and his wife. They, I think they sold their shares years later, and they sold the store to somebody else. But anyway, uh, they were the sole proprietors of Waterloo Records to begin the genesis, right? Yeah. 
So I throw, I, I see the sign and I, I light up. I throw my bike down in the little grassy knoll there. Dude, I could have been driving by that time. It just makes more sense like a, a scene from Better Off Dead or something. $2. I want my $2. Anyway, uh, I, throw, I, I, throw, I throw down. I, get, I jump in the door and I'm like, hey, can I come in and check it out? They weren't even open yet, Dave. Oh, wow. And they were like, oh, my God, hell yeah, come on in. Dude, there are, are boxes of records all over the place. There's stacks of records just like 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 spread out like a like a card deck, a deck of cards all yeah. over the place. And they're like, just watch your step. You know, sorry it's such a mess. Da, 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 da. Come in, man, hang out. Dude, I was so excited. Yeah. There's nothing on the walls yet kind of thing, right, when you think about a record store. It, they they asked me. They said, "What do you listen to? What's your what's your name? Where are you from? Where do you live? Da 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 da. What do you like?" They wrote down every new wave of British heavy metal band I could think of that would have been an import. Yeah, they yeah, wrote yeah. it down. The next time I went in there, day one probably. If who knows, the week they opened, they remembered me. They remembered my name. I went through all the records. They had a heavy metal section. I went over there. They had ordered everything I said, Angel Witch, Motorhead, Iron Maiden, anything, everything that I said, Raven, whatever. They said they had it all. Yeah. And I was like, I'm telling all my friends to come buy their records here. Yeah. I guarantee you they will. You have no – I am – the word on the street is going to be Waterloo has your favorite records. Yeah. And of course, they love me because I, I told them that. Yeah. And I was always, uh, and it, you know what? Here you go. It was another place for me to hang my band flyers. Right. Because right. back to what you were, yeah, that's the reason we're talking about this, right? Yeah. It's family hub. It was a ritual. It was a thing. The smell of the place is the reason you went back there. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was to just tie it in with Metallica Raven Show, which would have been uh wednesday august 24th 1983 uh <laughs> at 3 p.m yeah 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 <laughs> i uh i went to the in-store i went to that day right anyway so about a month prior kill em all comes out i'm stand i already had a stack of raven records you know right. and um i was already a fan of raven but when i heard that that they were coming to town and there was this band metallica opening for them it was only a few weeks after the I had walked into Waterloo, and they stopped me at the as soon as I hit the door. They're like, "Oh my God, hey, come over here, put these headphones on, listen to this record." They hand me the Kill 'Em All album cover. They go, "Oh my God, you're gonna flip out. You're gonna love this. This is right up your alley." And yeah. I'm like, "Wow, cool." And I had, I think I had heard about the band in Kerrang magazine. I didn't know what they sounded like. Right. I put the headphones on, and Grinning ear to ear, I couldn't even get past. I, I wasn't even to the chorus of "Hit the Lights" yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was like, oh, I was probably yelling. You know how when you have headphones on, you're yeah. you're talking too loud. Hey, there's a pun. And you know, you're like, hey, this is great. And it was like, dude, you're yelling. You're right, right. That kind of thing. I was probably peeing myself. Right. Right. Uh. <laughs> anyway. So there, that's one more reason that Hogwild is a genesis, uh, holy ground, and a legend. 
around here in Austin, Texas, for for not just heavy metal, but for music. Yeah, you're you're talking about Waterloo. Waterloo, Waterloo. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So I'm glad you brought up Waterloo because obviously I have them on my list, and uh, and I continue. I'm probably there once a month now that my son is into collecting vinyl, but um, I remember. When I, I moved to Austin in 1995, and I discovered Waterloo Records, and it was another one of those places where I was thinking to myself, oh my God, this place has everything, and if they don't have it, they can get it, you know? And the, I mean, just the selection was incredible, and to this day, I mean, there's a reason they've been in business as long as they've had, they have. They're just an incredible selection. Um, uh, they do the in stores are cool. I saw um, I saw Iggy Pop do an in store at Waterloo Records during South by Southwest uh, a handful of years ago. Now uh, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna spitball and say maybe it was ten years ago. Now I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It was fairly recent, um, relatively recent, I should say. But um, Iggy Pop was doing an in-store at Waterloo Records during South by Southwest. So, of course, you can imagine the line to get into Waterloo Records is literally down the street and around the block. And as far as the eye can see, there's people lined up and there's no way they're all getting in. Can I interrupt and say the visual? Sometimes they have a stage in the parking lot. Is that what it was? Or they, this was like inside on the tiny little bandstand? Yes. Holy moly. Exactly. That's So that's the beauty of this whole scenario is because Iggy Pop, you know, is a, is just an absolute tornado on stage. And you put him on a little tiny stage inside of a record store and all hell's about to break loose. And like I said, the line, it's during South by Southwest. So the whole world is in Austin, Texas. And everybody wants to see Iggy do an in-store performance, right? So I thankfully had a connection who shall shall remain nameless so that he or she is not incriminated in in this story. But I knew somebody that got me in to the front of that line. And so I got there. They only let 300 people into the store, something like that. And I was one of them, and my wife was with me, and a and a couple other. Uh, Frank from Sons of Hercules was in there, of course. Well, hold, well, hold on a second. Three hundred people in a record store in a retail space. Possibly, yeah, maybe it was one hundred and fifty. I don't remember. It was tight, and it, and they were literally lined up in the aisles. You know, every square foot of floor space was occupied. So there's no social distancing at no. all. No, this, <laughs> yes, no way. This is way pre-pandemic. But uh, just like you said, Waterloo Records—they're—they're—they're they're, they're known for their in-stores because they had—they uh, have kegs of beer and it's free. So you get in, you—you you, know, the line's pretty long, but you fill up your cup of beer and you sit there and you wait for Iggy Pop to come in and just destroy the place. And so he shows up, uh, he takes the stage, and he's just. He's Iggy Pop, so he's shirtless, he's a tornado, he's all over the record bins running around on top of the cash register. Uh, he actually uh, goes out the door to the, all the people that are still in line that can't get in. He's out there in the parking lot singing in their faces, you know, giving them a piece of the action, you know. It was awesome, and to be able to say that you were there uh, was pretty incredible. He, 
unfortunately he was promoting a new album and he only played like three or four songs and they were all off the new album. So we didn't get any classic. And by the way, it wasn't Iggy pop. It was the stooges. So mm-hmm. got the classic, you know, the, the surviving members of the band, um, on that tiny little stage that you're familiar with, not the outdoor stage that they sometimes have. This is inside the store. And it was like being in a pressure cooker. It was awesome. But Waterloo Records is is world famous and for good reason. Uh, they just have a great selection. They know how to throw an in-store. Uh, if they don't have it, you they'll get it for you. Their used section is incredible. Oh, the and, used section is kick-ass. Yeah, their used they section. Have a, they have a dollar bin that you have to look through, or it, it's a sin for you to walk by the dollar bin because there's usually one fucking thing in there that you need yep i i uh i've mentioned this in a previous episode of talk louder but uh in that 99 cent bin i found uh jet boy's second album and it's on vinyl and it's a perfectly good shape they just didn't you know it was jet boy somebody was just trying to get rid of it and i was like oh my god i'll take it (laughs) of course yeah so waterloo records um is uh is world famous and rightfully so it's a great great store anybody who lives here is very familiar anyone listening who doesn't live here if you ever get to austin you owe it to yourself to go check out waterloo records yeah so i guess this is where i need to talk about how awesome my experience was working for chuck over at Encore Records. Yes, please do. That was another great store. It was probably the year 2000 that I was hired uh, to work at uh, at Encore Records. And I believe it was this, actually the second location of Encore. They used to be, uh, I don't remember the original location. And I think they actually even went under a different name, like CD City or something like that. Um, I like that CD City. Yeah, CD. I like that. Anyway, (laughs) uh, it's a good song title. That is. Uh, So, so Encore was, um, you know, Chuck's this really cool old school guy that uh, is from Lubbock and has a big story. He should guy should write a book. Uh, You know, I think that. He's had some friends and family members that hung out with Buddy Holly, you know what I mean, that yeah. far back. So anyway, he's a cool guy, and he was uh, trying to stay the, ahead of the game by, you know, when C- when he sold, I think he sold records, and then he opened CD City, and then and then it was CDs, and but he always had vinyl. He always had vinyl, yeah. but he also uh, rented movies. DVDs. It yep. was VHS, and then his VHS dwind, you know, rentals dwindled, and then he did movies. Yeah. And he sold movies, and he sold music, and but I everyone everyone called it a record store, but they would rent movies too. So yeah. the proper name I, was actually Encore Music and Videos, wasn't yeah, it? That's exactly right. I think it ended up being being that right. So, um. I worked there about 10 years. I actually had about two or three jobs at one time at some point, And that was one of, that was during that time. And I was, I was selling guitars and amps for South Austin music. And, uh, and I was working at Encore and then I started teaching in 2005. And so, you know, 
now I'm teaching all the time. But anyway, the the deal is is uh, between teaching music, selling music, and selling equipment to play music, I pretty much had some kind of strange corner on the market or something, <laughs> you know, pretty weird to kind of put it all in a ball there, right? But anyway, my time at Encore was was a fun time. Yeah. We had in stores there. Uh, Chuck had put a stage in the corner. Uh, when there wasn't a band there, he would he would have racks of shirts up there, you know, yeah. uh, listening stations, things like that. And uh, uh, I had the job of moving all that crap off so the band could get on the stage, you know, things like that. But he had a PA. It was very similar to maybe a little friendly competition with Waterloo, right? Yeah, but uh, I mean, everyone played. Vallejo played in there. He would have, uh, I think, I can't remember their name. But there was this really cool band that was really popular Broken on One One X during what? What did you say? <laughs> Broken Teeth. Well, Broken Teeth did uh, did a couple of in stores there. Evil that. United did an in store. Yeah, my own bands would do in stores there for sure. Yeah, and it was it was cool. Sometimes there'd be you know like seventy five people crammed in that little place, and yeah. it was rocking. Yeah. and there was beer. Yeah, and it was you know it was it was awesome. And you know if you sold twenty copies of your record, you have to think about it. You don't sell twenty copies of your record at a gig, right? You're lucky to sell five. Yeah, yeah. at a merch booth type of DIY underground old school kind of a thing, right? Yeah. You and your fans one at a time. Yeah. So here you go. If you can sell 20 to 30 copies of your record at an in-store where there's free beer and shit, yeah. someone, some, you know, you're, it's, it's, that's a kick-ass time yeah. for everyone, for the band, for everyone. And, you know, people are just pouring out of the, the doors are wide open. We're disturbing the peace. There's yeah. not. People are having to park in the neighborhood, pissing the neighborhood off, and then walk down to. Some people got their car towed, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. Well, uh, I I spent some money in Encore, and I remember one of the in stores, uh, Broken Teeth, was doing an in store, and uh, my my buddy Al again, gonna bring up Al Kelly, uh, he was with me that night. He drove in from San Antonio, and. He was aware of Broken Teeth because I'd been blabbing about you guys for years at that point. Uh, I don't know that he'd ever seen you, and you were the reason for the in-store was you were you just put out uh, Viva La Rock, your album oh, yeah. Rock Fantastico, and so he went to the in-store with me. It was everything you just described: kegs of beer, packed wall to wall. The place was just blasting. It was awesome. And uh, Al is one of the people that bought one of those albums that night. And I remember he went back to San Antonio and he got back to me a couple of days later. And Al's like, you know, I think he didn't even admit he's a bit of a he's a he can be a music snob. Can't we all? You know, sure. and he got back to me and he said, this Viva La Rock Fantastico is the best hard rock record I've heard since Appetite for Destruction. And I was like, whoa. Oh, I'm gonna have to text Jason and tell him that. Well, and, uh, you'll you'll have to give me Al's address, so <laughs> a I can confirm that, and so I know where to send the check. <laughs> Thank I'll you, do, Al. I'll do that. But yeah, uh, Encore was a great, great uh, record store. A lot of personality, nice vibe, great selection, everything you want in a record store. 
Um, I want to go back to Waterloo for just a second um, because there was a, uh, you know, because Waterloo is so famous, it attracts uh, celebrities and rock stars and, you know, whatever. If, some, if someone's in town visiting and they're into music, chances are they're going to spend some time at Waterloo Records. I, uh, a buddy of mine who works there uh, just posted a photo on Facebook the other day. Billy Gibbons popped in, you know, from ZZ Top, and he's just shopping because that's, you know, he's a music guy and he's in town, right? Um, so my wife worked at the hair salon that's right around the corner from Waterloo Records, and this is about, this is about 2000, 2001. And so I was, I was there all the time because I was either picking her up or dropping her off at work or I was meeting her and we were going out for dinner or whatever. So I was always in that little shopping center where Waterloo Records is. So one day I'm, you know, I parked the car, I'm walking past the window of Waterloo on my way to my wife's uh, place of business. I walk by Waterloo Records and I look in and there's Chris Robinson from the Black Crows is at the cash register with a stack of CDs about, <laughs> about two feet tall. And I'm looking through the window and I'm like, wow, that, that's Chris Robinson. And uh, my car was just, you know, a few feet away. So I'm like, I'm going to go back to my car and get a scrap of paper and see if he'll, you know, sign it for me. I got to say hello to this guy. So I get the piece of paper. I'm walking back to the salon and he's walking out of Waterloo Records right as I pass the door. So we kind of conveniently bumped into each other. And I said, hey, man. And he goes, hey. And I was like, uh, I saw you inside. Uh, would you mind signing an autograph for me? He's like, no, not at all. And he looks at me. And this is back, you know, my hair's charged up. And this is, you know, back, I, I went through an eyeliner phase. So I'm wearing eyeliner and I've got my oh. I've got my hair all charged up. And he looks at me with the pen and paper. He looks me right in the face and he goes, yeah, sure. Who should I make this out to? Johnny Thunders? <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so he signed it and I got a laugh out of it. He got a laugh out of it. And I, I still have it somewhere in this office. But uh it's that kind of place, you know, if somebody's touring through town or, you know, just happens to be in town, they're going to go to Waterloo Records. So. I, I have a story. It's a, it has celeb value. Uh, the cult came through town. Uh, it would have been right when the toys finished a leg of their tour, Sonic Temple, and they came through to play. Uh, on the on on a, a second leg, and they had Tora Tora opening in our place. Right. And uh, me and a friend, uh, I had hooked up with Ian Asbury from the Cult. Uh, you know, we were chummy for a while, and he uh, he says, "Yeah, man, I I want to go to a record store. There's some stuff I need to pick up." And I'm like, "I'm like, all right, well, I'll meet you at the at the venue, like you know." here's the time here's the place we'll pick you up I, we just we all we have is a pickup so it's going to be kind of tight and he's like i don't care i'll ride in the back yeah you told me this. yeah i've told you about this huh <laughs> yeah so i go we go get ian asbury so we're riding from like the Irwin center or whatever i think it was the Irwin center and we're and we're uh ian asbury from the cult is in the back of the pickup like sitting down in the back of the pickup, holding on to the to the walls of the bed, right? Uh, yeah. And we go to water. And it's not that far. It's just a shot up Lamar, right? Right. And uh, and so we're we're in Waterloo, and we're we're thumbing through vinyl and looking at records and stuff. And I remember him um, 
I remember him holding up a Sepultura record and I was like, those guys are cool. And he was like, uh, he, you know, he almost bought, I almost had him sold on. He was like, you've, you've sparked my curiosity. You know what I mean? He was old. I can't remember what record it was. It might've been roots. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that's, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Who, yes. who, it's, you couldn't, you couldn't fit the celebs that have visited the grounds of Waterloo on one piece of notebook paper. No, not at all. I mean, it's world famous, like I said, and for good yeah. reason. They, I, I'm, I'm happy they're successful. I'm happy they're in my town so I can visit yeah. frequently. And I wish them nothing but continued success because I spend a lot of time there and uh, they never let me down. So well, they're, they're, they're legends. Um, and, you know, uh, Hogwild is legend. Waterloo yeah. is legend. Every city, uh, every every sort of big city has a a hub that is a record store that right. you buy patches and posters and pins and buttons, among other things. You know, let's say let's say for for those of you who are more soccer mommy, it's it's a gift shop, but it's also way more than that to uh, to freaks like me and you. Yeah, exactly. It's a dear, it's not a gift shop to you and me. It is. It's church. Yes. <laughs> it is church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to mention, um, I, I can't talk about record stores in the city of Austin without bringing up sound exchange. Um, when I moved here in 1995, I wasn't even living here yet. I, I came to town to interview for a job. Not correcting you, it used to be called, just for the record, Record Exchange. Okay, so that's before my time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was, a, are you talking about, just so we're clear again, are you talking about a store that was down on the drag? Yes. UT campus? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, tourists will know it because for many, 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 many years, it had that famous Daniel Johnston painting on the side right. of the. That was office. that was the that was the location. Yeah, uh, I want to say this up on like twenty uh, third or something. I I, I I'm I'm probably wrong about the street number. There was another store inside of an old house called Inner Sanctum. Oh yes, I remember which is, that. Which is which is infamous at this point. Um, it was so small, but yeah. it was very much in the vibe of like an Empire Records, you know, like the movie or or even even the early Waterloo. It was very similar to that, but it had my it reminded me of like my when I was really, really young down in Corpus, Dirty Dave's. It was darker. It was like I said, it was in an old house. Uh, a little dingy. Uh, a lot of old wood and stuff and a lot of collectible things. Really cool, really cool. So it's definitely worth the mention. Yeah. And I know a lot of old schoolers are going to know Inner Sanctum and go, oh, yeah, I spent hours and I yeah. spent years in there, some people are <laughs> no, going to say. I'm glad you brought that one up because uh, I've, I've been in that record store uh, numerous times myself. It's long. Record, record Exchange used to have the ultimate metal section. Yeah, so so let, let me get back to that. So it's yes. 1995. I'm not yet living in Austin, but I'm in town interviewing for a job. And so I'm spending the night with a buddy of mine 
and sleeping on his couch. And uh, the whole purpose for me being here is to go do this job interview and maybe hang out with my buddy for an extra day or so or whatever. So he knows I'm a total music freak. And he's like, dude, you got to see, you got to go to this place, Sound Exchange. I'll take you there. I think you're going to love it. And so I go there and I was like, oh my God. Now, so let me, let me put this in perspective. So I had left San Antonio and, uh, and bye bye Hogwild Records, right? So I'm now living in, at the time I was living in Galveston, which, you know, is of course this little island off the, uh, off the coast of Texas and they don't have great record stores. <laughs> they but, don't have, but Houston had the equivalent. Yeah, I, I don't, wouldn't had, know the name of it right now, but Houston had an equivalent, uh, yeah. the Dallas Fort, Fort Worth area, Arlington, all those little places. There was, there was bills, records and tapes. There was a bunch. Right, yeah. Oh my God, we could do a second episode. You realize I'm looking at the clock. The one you're thinking of in Houston was Cactus Records. Okay. I have them written down here. I was going to bring them up too. But uh, so anyway, I'm in Austin interviewing for a job, sleeping on my buddy's couch. He tells me I need to go check out this place, Sound Exchange. He drives me over there. I walk in and I'm like, oh my God, it's like, it's like Hogwild Records. It was just you know, import metal, everything was vinyl. And it was like, the t-shirts were insane. They had every underground metal band t-shirt. The vinyl selection was crazy. It was all, you know, hard to find stuff. They had a great used selection. Uh, the store had all that personality again, right by the front doors, stacks of, uh, flyers for local gigs and, you know, demo tapes and fanzines and all this stuff that, you know, this DIY stuff is all piled up at the door. I was like, this is great. So I'm loving the store. Right. And as I'm in there, these people walk in and there's about four or five of them and they are the strangest looking people I've ever seen. And I'm like, what is up with these people? And I couldn't even tell if they were guys or girls because they were like wearing uh, like torn up dresses and combat boots and they had their hair in pigtails and they had like this real smeared up makeup on their face and everything. They just looked like a left for dead baby doll corpse or something. It sounds like it's like welcome to Austin, Dave. Exactly. You're so that, from San Antonio. So, so you know. Here, so here's my point. I'm sitting there looking at these people and I'm going what is going on here? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I know Austin has a reputation for being weird. So I'm thinking they're just some locals, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, just five minutes ago, I'm thinking I found my place. This is my, this is my new city. I want to get this job. I want to live in Austin. I want to shop at this record store. I have arrived. This is everything. And then I see these freaks and I'm like, wow, I might be too straight for this town. Yeah. Well, I find out through the grapevine a couple days later, it was an unknown Marilyn Manson that was in the store. Wow. So yeah. They were in town to do that famous, now famous, infamous, I guess, gig at the back room. They weren't famous right. yet. They right. were in town to do a gig at the back room. They weren't famous. I didn't recognize. And you know me, if anybody's got any. What year was this? What uh, year? It's 95. Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, I I think I was at that gig. I know Dave Castillo from San Antonio. He filmed that show. I have some of the I have some of that on film. Uh, I have a photo that our our 
dearly departed uh, friend Greg Maston took at that show. Okay. Um, and, you know, so I found out a couple days later that it was Marilyn Manson in that record store. And I don't know if they were shopping or getting ready to set up for an in-store appearance or whatever, but I remember being in the store thinking, oh, this is awesome. And then they showed up and I was like, oh, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm, I don't, maybe I'm not weird enough for this city. <laughs> well, then I found out it, they were some out of towners and it was the Marilyn Manson band and they, they just weren't famous yet. But well, there's plenty, there was plenty of uh, people dressing like that in Austin around that time. Exactly. Which was sort of my, you know, thinking I'm like, okay, they're, you know, this is just a, a this is a free spirited city and people fly their freak flag high, man. So and, you're, and you're also down on the drag. Exactly. So, yeah, so that's where that's where a lot of freaky things would happen. So. Yeah, but Sound Exchange was an awesome, awesome, awesome record store. Uh, I mean, I spent a lot of time there and a lot of money there, and I was yeah. to see it go. And and you know, people that are listening to this podcast elsewhere, somewhere besides Austin, might be aware of it because it had that famous Daniel Johnson uh, painting on the side with the frog. Yeah said hi how are you or whatever right. but yeah so they would have they would have bands play in there uh as a matter of fact my brother randy was in a band called uh and i think it was with johnny johnny venom john miller uh called drag worm yep. and i think randy just posted some photos on facebook the other day from them playing in sound exchange Wow, I don't remember what year that what year that would have been, but yeah, he those those photos were just posted. I think in I think in in Austin, if you have a record store, it's mandatory that you also have live performances because yeah, the so the musicians in this town. Yeah, the the original Waterloo for the record was so small. I don't I seem seems like I would recall if they had bands play in there, but it was so small. Well, yeah, I mean, Sound Exchange was small, and if Dragworm was playing there, that was—I was just going to say—that's that was a tight fit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, but I think that there was enough of a uh, a corner area that that they could get a drum kit and then just hang out in the aisles, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, just for the another, it, this is another for the record moment. Uh, just it's it's holy ground we're talking about with Inner Sanctum and and Record Exchange and then and then later changing the name to Sound Exchange because of the um, influx of of compact disc sales uh, in the digital age. Yeah. Uh, you not long after that, Tower Records moved in uh, right there, just a block away on the drag. Uh, the drag is what Austinites call Guadalupe Street, which runs right up the middle of UT campus, University of Texas. So right. there's dorms everywhere. There's pizza parlors everywhere. There's little coffee shops. There's restaurants. There's it's a it's a strip. It's like a drag, right? MLK. It's just north of downtown. Da 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 da. So just to give a visual. Um, the, what I'm getting at is Raul's, the infamous punk rock club that everyone, Ramones in the 70s. Yeah. Everyone went through there and played. There was a whole, before I moved to Austin in, in mid to late 70s, I hope I'm right about that, 
there was this flux of early punk rock bands and and the scene and everything like Chris Gates could tell you about it. Chris Gates would have been in the big boys uh, and they played Raul's. There was a band called the Huns that played there all the time. I bet Alejandro Escovedo could tell you stories all day long. I bet, I bet bands like the Plim souls played there. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. There's a visual. There's a time frame of how cool. Because um, we're talking as I'm talking as early as as 83, yeah. 82, 83. And you're talking about a 90s vibe. And it's still intact at yeah. that point. Yeah. Still, this All of this is intact. Now, of course, Raul's went away in the early 80s. I recall it being torn down and turned into something else like a, who knows, a Starbucks or a Bonanza, who knows? Yeah. But uh, Holy Ground nonetheless. Yeah. Right there around Dean Keaton where Hole in the Wall is and all that. Yeah. So famous downtown, uh, just north of downtown uh, UT campus area, record stores and punk rock bars galore. Yeah. I want to go back to, um, you know, sort of the the social aspect of record stores. And uh, another thing I remember when I was in San Antonio, Sound Warehouse was was a chain, but uh, but they they were also one of those places that had a great selection and they did awesome in stores Mm -hmm. like they had. There was a couple locations in San Antonio when I lived there. And I remember going to in-stores. I met Alice Cooper at Sound Warehouse. I met Motorhead, Twisted Sister. Uh, You know, it was just like, and in-stores were such a cool aspect of record stores. And this is before the whole paid meet and greet. So if you were willing to stand in line, you could get your album signed and maybe get a photo with these, these people or whatever. And I remember that was a, a real communal kind of, dude, Motorhead's going to be at Sound Warehouse. I'll meet you in the parking lot. All right. You, or do you need a ride? Let's go hang. Let's go meet Twisted Sister or whatever, you know. And Sound Warehouse had great in-stores. I, I wanted to throw that in there because I, I remember going to a number of them. And uh, to this day, I still have some of the autographed stuff that I got from those. Nice. And, it, it, it you know. Can you imagine uh, a Motorhead or a Twisted Sister doing a free in-store today? It's maybe, but probably unlikely, you know. The, it was just kind of commonplace back then. Yeah, you're you're right. I, um, I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I've done a lot of in-stores with, with my bands. Uh, I'd be out on the road uh, where I, you know, I don't know. It's my first time in this town. It could be... Springfield, you know what I mean? I could be somewhere in, you know, between Virginia and uh, Vermont, you know, who knows? And I'm in a, and I'm in a sound warehouse or I'm in a Hastings or I'm in like a mom and pop shop or something like that. Yeah. And there will be a hundred people, 200 people in line and I'm signing everybody's shit. I'm signing a record. I'm signing a poster. I'm, I'm taking photos so that's like hours, sometimes yeah. three hours. It's you're at the, you're at the, you're doing the in-store. It's, I call it work. Yeah. 
but it's the right kind of work. Yeah. Because these people came to hang out with you. They bought your fucking record. Right. This is it's church. A, it's this a, is fellowship. Yeah. This is a ritual. Now, it doesn't matter. Take my band out of it. It's like what you're saying. Can you imagine Motorhead, Twisted Sister, da da da? Yes, I can, because yeah. it's real. And I mean, it's a giving. You know, it's a it's a it's a giving. They're giving and you're giving. And it smiles and happy and everyone's you know, they're buying your record. Yeah. Sometimes two, three copies of it to bring up to the table for you to sign. I just bought this. Um, I have one at home, but I'm gonna get these signed for my friends. See what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's real. That and that's exactly what we're talking about today. Right. The magic of record stores being sort of this ground zero meeting place for all the freaks and rockers and the people that you call your friends and your extended family. That was what you did back then, you know, and, and it was magic, man. It was great. And I I don't, you know, unfortunately, you know, we all grow up and have different responsibilities and I don't have the amount of free time that I used to have to, to spend afternoons in record stores or whatever. But uh, I do get back to them from time to time, especially, thankfully, being in Austin. We've got some great ones. We've already gone on at length about Waterloo, but I want to throw in uh, Antone's records and End of an Ear. End of an yes. Ear is another one of those famous. Yeah, they're they're sort of like uh, keeping it alive. Yeah, they're End, another End one. of an Ear deserves like a hoorah and a marching band parade. Yeah. They, they really are sort of keeping it around they sell like old fly they sell old flyers they sell collectibles yeah this is the vibe of the record store it's not an antique store don't look at it like that this, if you it's it's rock and roll so this is the lore this is like a history lesson yeah. on top of you can buy the new insert your favorite band yeah at, at end of an ear i think end of an ear reminds me of Hogwild. it's yes. kind of Austin's version of Hogwild Records, and fortunately, it's right by my house, so I get there pretty often as well. And Antone's is is uh, is a great record store. the The selection is a little different, but I love it. They've got a great used section, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't they they don't specialize, I guess, in metal necessarily. You can find some stuff, but they're more of a rock and roll kind of a blues type thing, as the name would suggest, I guess. And yeah. But, uh, but you're definitely going to find something in there. You know, if you go in there, you're going to walk out with an yeah, awesome look, stuff. Look, look out, you're going to fall in love. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. are. You are. There's going to be something in there that you have to have. It's dangerous. Look out. Yeah. Maybe you ought to leave half your money in the car. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Look out. Look out. Because, you know, you have to think like that sometimes because it's, yeah. it's a wonderful place. But all of these places are. You know, I want to mention, because uh, we have listeners uh, talk louder, you know, worldwide now. So I I don't know some, I mean, I've been to record stores overseas, and they have this same vibe that we're talking about. So this is a global fellowship that we're talking about. Patches, t-shirts, posters, records, CDs, sometimes old even bootleg VHS. There's this place in Tokyo called Airs. Oh my God. <laughs> you won't get out of there alive. You, you can't carry the shit you want. You're going to want to buy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, incredible. So the, the, um, I, I wanted to mention, you know, 
whether they're still around or defunct, I want to mention just because I feel like I have to, Amoeba. Oh, I'm glad uh, you brought that up. Yes. Uh, uh, Tower. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I could go on all day. I didn't go to Wikipedia and just look up record store chains or right, right. infamous mom and pop places. Right. Uh, it, well, it, this, this is this is something that we could talk about for days and yeah. totally talk about, you know, wouldn't it have been cool to go to da 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 da? You know, I was lucky enough to go to the record vault in San Francisco where the first time Motorhead hit U.S. soil, that's where they went and did it in store. Wow. You know what I mean? Uh, the record vault is like this like totally holy ground in like, I want to say downtown on Broadway area, San Francisco. Uh, I don't know the address of the record vault and I don't even know if it's still there and still yeah. functioning and open, but you know what? It really reminded me of inner sanctum. Yeah. Small, dingy, cool as hell. Right. Find your favorite heavy metal record record there. Multiple things. I'm glad you brought up Amoeba because, uh, we, you know, we were talking about some places become so famous. And if you're a nerd like us and you would land in that city for whatever reason, business, vacation, whatever, you're not leaving without going to their famous record store. Right. And uh, Kim and I went to San Francisco just before Dash was born. And I absolutely had to go to Amoeba Records because I'd heard all about it. Um, a friend of mine recommended it, uh, and I went there and it was just like, oh my God, it, it was like, it was like hog wild times 50. Cause it was just expansive. It was just this huge store. It had everything that you wanted, but it was just vast. It was just this big yeah. store. And, um, I, yeah, I was glad I got to see it and, and go there and check it out. Um, uh, and I think, I guess it's still there. I think they've, they, they started in Berkeley, California, and then opened the second location in San Francisco. And then they opened a third in Hollywood. And I don't know how any of those stores are doing today, if they're even still open, but, uh, Amoeba records again, world famous. And, uh, I was glad I got to set foot in there. That's where they filmed that episode. You might see it, uh, on YouTube where they do the whole what's in my bag segment where, mm -hmm. you know, touring rock stars go on a shopping spree in the record store and then they tell yeah. you about what they bought or whatever. Yeah. So that's all done at Amoeba Records. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. But, by the way, by the way, there is like footage of, uh, I think that there is a documentary on Tower Records. Yes, I, don't rem I don't remember what it's called, but some of my favorite uh, moments in that documentary about Tower Records is um, how Elton John would have his limo parked out front and they would open the store for him early in the morning and he'd go in and just buy like, you know, 300 record albums. Yeah. And then like he had this big security guy carrying these bags of records out to the car and putting them in the trunk or whatever of this love his limo. And, and I just, this is like, you know, I'm just picturing Elton John being so excited and he was buying rock and roll and jazz and he was buying everything. Yeah. And he, he, can you imagine Elton John's record collection? My God. No, you can't. You can't even <laughs> yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. 
glad you brought up uh, that Tower lo- uh, Tower Records location in Hollywood on on Sunset Boulevard because I uh, eventually I got there and I did spend some time there. It's another one of those things, just like Amoeba. I'm in California. I'm in L.A. I have to go to the legendary Tower Records, right? Of course you do. And um, I'm in there, and uh, I remember a couple years earlier, a couple years previous to my arriving there, I was doing a phone interview with Zach Wild. And I asked him where he was calling me from. Cause I don't know. He just rings my phone and it's Zach Wild. I don't know where he's calling from. Right. So just out of curiosity, I ask him, where are you calling from? And he says, I'm on a pay phone across the street from tower records in, in Hollywood. <laughs> So when I finally go to Tower Records in Hollywood, I'm looking across the street and there's a payphone. And I'm like, I bet that's the payphone that Zach called me and we did that interview. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Right across the street from Tower Records, there was a, there was a studio, a recording studio, and I want to say offices for SBK Music, which is part of the production deal that the toys got. So w- there is a cassette tape somewhere in my museum laying around here of uh, some recordings that we did with Max Norman at the helm. It would have been the first day we met Max. Wow. And it's right across the street from Tower Records. There's a studio in like a, an old brownstone building. Uh, that look, It just looks like a strip mall, you know, but... There's a recording studio right there where Zach is talking about uh, that's probably just on the street, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's holy ground. Yeah. Without saying, I mean, you're on you're on the strip. Right. Right. Yeah. It's holy ground on top of holy ground. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, this has been great, man. Uh, I, I just, uh, I wanted to, when Al sent me that suggestion for this topic, I thought that's a good one. And especially the whole social aspect of it. I wanted to capture some of that too, because record stores for me and you and people listening to the show are so much more than just a place to go and buy a record. It's, you know, it's where you're among your people. It's where you get updates on the scene. It's where you feel at home. It's uh, it's a communal sort of thing, and it, and uh, I hope we captured some of that today because I, to this day, I get that sense of uh, discovery and just that feeling of magic when you walk into a room that's so overloaded with music and posters and stickers and it's yeah, I mean it's what we live for, right? So yeah. I'm glad we spent some time talking about that today. Yeah, I, I wanted to give a, a shout out and a hats off to the the type of personality that would apply for that job of working in a an underground record store. Yeah. Because you really do have to be in love with the ritual. Yeah. Of of listening here here it is, listen to vinyl all day. Yeah, you're flipping records. You're basically playing DJ because you're playing records all day. Right. I mean, unless it's CDs, but but I, it, let's let's say end of an ear. They're listening to vinyl in there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Th- those are the 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 ilk of personality that's behind the counter there. They're a little bit nerdy. They have tattoos. They love weird rock and roll. Susie and the Banshees or. Uh, Belfagor or, you know, <laughs> Bathory or, or what, or Weezer, whatever. It doesn't matter. 
they're this nerdy, bookwormy. They probably are a jazz music fan, classical music fan, uh, uh, but they also like Cannibal Corpse. Right, right. Uh, they're flipping records all day while they're doing, uh, they're restocking, doing returns, yeah. uh, checking people out when they come up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All the, sweeping the floor, right. uh, putting tags on things marking things up, marking things down. Yeah. You're and probably right. and probably not making more than about nine to ten bucks an hour. Right. You're you're that's a great point. Uh it's not a job for robots. It's a job for people that are passionate about it and can tell you everything about every genre because they're so immersed in it that uh they're actually happy to have that job because I don't want to speak for anybody, but you're right. There is a certain, the good ones, the good employees of those types of stores know the music inside out. And uh, it's not a job where you just punch the register and ring up whatever. You know, most of those people can tell you everything you want to know, like you said, about Susie and the Banshees or Mr. Bungle or, you know, Exciter or Cannibal Corpse or, you know, morbid angel or whatever they they know everything about it all of that stuff and and that's kind of also what makes it the the experience so cool is you're working you're interacting with knowledgeable people so if you walk in there and say hey i'm looking for something it's by so and so it's kind of you you might be a little uninformed and that person will go oh you mean blah 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 i got it right over here you know and then they'll go oh if you like that you might like this <laughs> you know and it's like right. Wow. And, you know, because they're really into it. And that's, you know, kind of goes back to what we've been saying all along is record stores, especially the independent ones, attract a certain personality. And those people are much like me and you and people listening to this podcast where music is not just a product that you buy like groceries or whatever. It's something you're passionate about. It's something you study. It's something you absorb. It becomes part of your life. And you always appreciate it when you bump into a fellow human being that uh, shares that same level of uh, passion for it, you know. That's I'm right. That up because you're absolutely right. The the employees of these stores are are, are something else. You know? right. you, you, know, you uh, nerd unification. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shot of rock and roll. Let's give it to you first, Jason. What do you got? I was going to uh, talk about yours and my, uh, for lack of a better term, personal favorite collectible in our, I'll just call it museum. What is your, I mean, it's going to be hard to pick one because between the two of us, we would have a museum a mile long. Yeah. I mean, one one man's trash is another man's, you know, gold mine. So we have to say that out loud as well. Because I'm looking on the wall behind you. You've got a couple of cool things just in sight. Yeah. Yeah. And some and of them are I would say some of them are bootlegs and, and they're they're cool. They're cool to look at, but only worth something to you, which is part of the point. What's your favorite little thing that you have uh, collected? Well, 
as you as you stated, uh, you know, I've got a lifetime of stuff here, and but I will say that there are there are two things that rise to the top, and 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 that doesn't diminish the millions of other things because I've got a ton of cool stuff in my opinion. But to answer your question, uh, two of my possessions that I hold really near and dear, um, one of them is a gold is a framed gold 45 of Alice Cooper's I Never Cry. Holy shit. Yes. Yeah. It was given to I, me. I know where you got it. Yeah. yeah. Given to me, for those who don't know, those who are listening, it was given to me by Robert Wagner, who lives here in Austin and fronts a number of bands. But his dad was Dick Wagner, who played for Alice Cooper for a number of years uh, when Alice went basically turned into a solo artist. So Dick Wagner plays on Welcome to My Nightmare and uh, a number of those later 70s albums. Uh, and he actually wrote the song, or at, le at least co-wrote it with Alice, uh, called I Never Cry. And it was a huge hit for Alice Cooper. And so I have a framed gold 45 uh, record of that single. And it's RA, what is it, RAA certified, whatever the, mm -hmm. the term is. Um, R-I-A-A. R-I-A-A, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's made out, it's got a plaque. It was made out to Dick Wagner, uh, who passed away a few years ago. And uh, I, I guess, you know, he left his possessions with his son and his son was kind enough to give that to me. And I just think it's dynamite that it's in my living room. Yeah, how many, how many people have one of those? Yeah, it's a real, it's a real, real uh, I, it's a treasure. I absolutely love it so much so that it's literally hanging in my living room. If you come to my house, you don't have to walk into a back bedroom to see it. You're going to see it because it's going to slap you in the face when you walk into my living room. Oh, yeah. And I did that on purpose. Yeah. Uh, the other one, uh, so thank you, Robert Wagner. Um, the other one is, you know this, I think, um, I have a handwritten letter from Cliff Burton's mom. Um, Cliff, That's serious. Yeah, Cliff, Cliff, of course, the bass player in Metallica, who was killed in that tragic uh, bus accident. When he died, I was living in San Antonio, and San Antonio was a huge, you know, foothold for Metallica. Uh, everybody loved Metallica at an early stage in San Antonio, all the way from Kill Em All to Ride the Lightning. And uh, anyway, so... One of the DJs announced I was driving my dad's car. I remember this. I was sitting at a four-way stop, and the DJ comes on the air and says, uh, sad to inform everyone that uh, Cliff Burton, the bass player from Metallica, was killed in a bus accident uh, overnight in uh, was it Switzerland or Sweden, uh, somewhere overseas touring the Master of Puppets album. I think it was in Sweden. Yeah. And uh, the DJ says, I have the parents' address if you want to send condolences or flowers or whatever, you know. And so I'm frantically scrambling for a piece of paper and a pen, and I jot down the address. I'm, in, I'm sitting at a four-way stop in my dad's car, you know. And I write it down. I go home. I write this heartfelt letter to Cliff's parents and put it in the mailbox and forget about it, you know. Well, six or seven months later, 
um, there's a letter in my mailbox from San Francisco and the, the return address says Burton. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? And I open it up and it's a handwritten letter from Cliff's mom thanking me for my letter to her expressing my condolences and how much Cliff meant to me and heavy metal in general and to the whole rock and roll world, you know. Um, and as a guy from San Antonio, I was, you know, mentioned that uh, Metallica was much loved in San Antonio. And she wrote back and said, we've received more letters from San Antonio than any other city in the world. And uh, that's it, not a surprise. It's framed and hanging on my wall over here. So to answer your question, uh, that would be another bit of memorabilia that probably rises to the top of the creme de la creme, as they would say. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember my phone rang and a friend of mine had heard it and called me and told me. Uh, that was horrible news. That yeah. was uh, it was September 86. That's correct. Yes. Uh, on that note, um, I believe I've told this story about a million times, but one of my prized possessions, I've got too many to, to speak of. Sure. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll go ahead and stay with Metallica since we have this heartfelt uh, thing going on. Uh, when they reissued the box sets, there's these box sets of uh, the first, like the first three albums. And, and I have Kill 'em All and Ride the Lightning. I joined the fan club sort of after the fact because, I mean, I have letters from James Hetfield, and those would be one of my treasures, of course, right there. But I, I'm not really talking about them. I'll save them for another episode. Yeah. And they're still sort of part of it, I guess, because they were, long story short, those letters were printed, my letters to to me from James were actually reprinted in the coffee table books of the Kill Em All reissue box set that has the co big, thick coffee table book. Wow. And, wow. and um, yeah, they, they print, they, there was a, the form letter sent out to members of the, the fan club that said, uh, hey, if you have any paraphernalia, letters, photos, flyers, yada, yada, from those eras, from the earliest tours, you know, Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets. Yeah. We're doing this thing, right? So I was like, well, I knew I've been holding on to this crap forever. I, I knew there was a reason why I kept all this stuff, you know. Uh, I'm, you know, my mom used to say, Jason, you're a hoarder. You know, it's like, if I was a hoarder, it, aren't you glad I'm a hoarder? Because anything that breaks around here, I fixed it with something I kept from something else. That's not a hoarder. You know what I mean? That's just smart keeping. Practical. That's right. Uh, and by the way, I'm not a hoarder. You, you know, Dave, you've seen my house. I'm not a hoarder. So yeah, uh, not either. Yeah. So, so uh, my letters from James are reprinted in, in the Kill 'Em All, and flyers and things, photos and things are in the Ride the Lightning one. Awesome. And uh, yeah, and the management sent me free copies of those, which is amazing because between the two of them they're it's they're worth probably about five hundred dollars wow. at this point 
at yeah. this point back then i think they were about 80 bucks or 100 bucks yeah. so um because they were numbered i don't know how many they they pressed but yeah. Uh, that's probably one of, and I'm in both, uh, kill them all and ride the lightning of these box sets that, you know, the boxes for them are probably three inches thick. Yeah. And there's all this, there's CDs, there's vinyl, uh, there's live stuff, there's demos, there's, and the, the coffee table book is about an inch thick and I'm in the special thanks in both of those reissues. And, uh, Thank God, you know, and, and it's like one of maybe 15 to 18 names in the special thanks. Oh, that is really cool. I've, I've known you for 25 years and I did not know that. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. And I guess those came out going on about, I don't know, seven years ago now, six years ago now. Oh, that is really cool, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, and I'm sure, you know, we should do an episode on our memorabilia and we I, will one day. I, I was thinking we could, we, we got shots of rock and roll for days where we just like jerk off on our crazy collectibles. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> sorry for the colorful, <laughs> sorry for the colorful, colorful words there, but that's pretty much what it is. And on that note, <laughs> No, but that that's great. That's a great story. Um, yeah, I'm sure between the two of us, we could do a whole episode or two or three on just our memorabilia. I know I've got a lot of stuff that I'm grateful to have after all these years of collecting and uh, being a fan and, and, and you probably more so than me. So uh, we'll save it for another time. But uh, I really enjoyed the uh, conversation today about record stores. They are a magical, mythical place to people like us for a reason. And uh, I still get a thrill when I walk into one today. So, um, uh, again, thanks to Al Kelly for bringing that topic to our attention. And anyone listening out there, if you've got uh, topic suggestions, post them on our page or, or whatever, and we'll take all that under consideration. Um, as always, remember to hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel and uh, stay in touch with us via our talk louder podcast website where you can find merch coffee mugs and t-shirts and uh yeah leave your comments for us we love hearing from you and we will get back to you um and with that i'll sign off metal dave here along with my co-host jason mcmaster thank you very much for joining us on another episode of the talk louder podcast <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs>